Hello, everybody. My name is Stephen Kohler, and on behalf of everybody at Audira, I am thrilled to welcome today's guest, the esteemed Audra Wilson. Thank you so much for joining us today, Audra. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. I am absolutely delighted to have you on so many levels. But before we get into today's discussion, I just want to briefly describe that uh, Audra has an incredible uh, long career of public service. She currently serves as president and CEO of the Shriver Center on Poverty Law and is also the chair of the Cook County Commissions on Women's Issues. Audra, welcome. Thanks for having me. And I have to start with something that we both share in common. You have an incredible music background. Maybe you can share with our listeners today a little bit about your musical background. Yes, that was a wonderful thing to to find out. I am a pianist. I have played piano for many, many years, um, starting by age five and being in music schools and doing some competitions and just immersing myself in music. I was not feeling like I was on the path to become a professional musician and and being a child of immigrants, of course, my parents were like, this is cute, but does it pay the bills? <laughs> so when I realized like I probably wasn't gonna, you know, make my living being a professional musician, you know, I, I kind of deviated, but my music is important to me. My piano is very important to me. I do play other instruments as well, but the piano makes me happy and it's a great diversion from the day job. Oh, that's beautiful. And I know we'll touch on that a little bit later throughout our conversation, but just great to meet a fellow artist and musician and uh, can't wait to hope to hear you play at some point in the future. No point, yes. You, you can give me some tips on the on the keys. I'll be more than happy to. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'd love to just dive in with a bit of your background. I know that uh, if we understand correctly, you began your uh, career in the Shriver Center. Now you lead the organization. And I'm curious if you can share some of the, maybe the leadership lessons you've developed over your journey and and how you're applying them to lead the organization today. I started as an alumnus um, of the Schreiber Center. I began here right after law school, and I actually ended up replacing my former boss and my mentor. So it's very significant. I mean, this being at Schreiber laid the foundation for what I'm doing today, and not simply because I've come back, but it laid the foundation for for much of my work. The Schreiber Center is uh, an over 50-year-old anti-poverty organization. It was actually born out of the war on poverty, and it started as a national clearinghouse for legal services, which is a law firm essentially for the poor uh, that united practitioners from all around the country. So it is a legacy organization that's doing extraordinarily important work. And so that's why it was so important for me to be able to take all that I had learned after leaving the Schreiber Center and just kind of collect this information and be able to come back when an opportunity arose to replace, of all people, the person who gave me my first job. And it was also significant because I was the first person of color and the first woman to head the organization. So, you know, that weighs on me quite a bit because I not only am I filling big shoes, but there's a lot of expectations being in this role. But I always say that Schreiber opened doors for me from every professional opportunity that I've had since the Driver Center was a, as a consequence of something that I had done before. And so that's why I really think it was serendipitous for me to be back here, now armed with all these new skills and, and abilities to be able to, to lead the organization. And it has served me really very well because I've been here now. I just celebrated my one-year anniversary. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. It's, it, was, it went by quickly and it went by slowly at the same time. But um, I'm amazed how much I've been able to settle in and even grow within a relatively short period of time. But I am also amazed at how much I, I don't even think I recognize how much I've learned over the years and that I've been able to tap into 
um, to be in this role because it, it's it's tough to be at the helm of an organization. It really is. It can be very isolating. You know, it can be a little bit lonely because you. I'm a very hands-on person, and I love interacting with my team, and I love leading teams. But you have to have a little bit of detachment as well because mm-hmm. you, know, you get so close to your teams, but you also have to make decisions for the greater good of the organization. You have to be thinking about the bottom line at all times. And that means that every so often you're going to disappoint someone or you're going to frustrate someone because though you might like them personally, you know the decision you're making is for the greater good of the organization. And that's something that there's a reason why people, you know, have to be a little bit more seasoned when they get into leadership because that's a hard thing to be able to do, to, Mm -hmm. to, to live with having to make decisions that you know will not make everybody happy but that are best for the, the good of the organization. And so I, I appreciate all that I've learned over the years. And I appreciate the, the age that I'm at right now, that I'm stronger, more confident to be able to, to, to handle the fact that, yeah, you know, it's not an easy job and there'll be some disappointments, but ultimately you're doing it for the right reasons. And, and whether or not they recognize it at that moment or not until after you leave, you know that you've done some good for your organization. So powerful. And that's a uh, thank you for teeing that up, because that leads me to to the next question, which is, you know, one of the things that we love here at Audier is to is to reflect and listen from a leadership perspective on how we can all improve and enhance our listening skills as leaders. And it strikes us that for your organization, you have to do a tremendous amount of listening to a lot of different stakeholders. Uh, I would imagine many times a lot of those points of view might be at odds with one another. How do you balance listening to these different stakeholders and still finding a way to get something done at the end of the day? I would be lying to you if I said it was easy. It is, it's tough. So we are an anti-poverty organization and our mission at its core is to do all that we can do to lift families out of poverty. But poverty in the United States though is, is very much intertwined with race. Mm. So since you can't extricate the two, you're going to be involved with some really difficult conversations. And so we are interacting with communities that have been aggrieved, communities that have been just marginalized, um, individuals who are wary, they, they don't necessarily trust because there have been many people who've come before who said, we want to be able to help you and here's what we're going to do, but have oftentimes made decisions in a very paternalistic way. We're, we're, we're looking out for you, but not asking people, what do they need? So they may see something on the surface saying this community is lacking the following resources, but are not engaging people within the community to say, but what is it that you need? I see certain things on the surface, but you tell me what you need. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's really important that we are constantly having our finger on the pulse of the communities that we serve and that we are constantly engaging our, our local stakeholders to tell us what they need, to not presume that we know by just looking on the surface. And, and you have to do that by building a rapport. You have to build a rapport. You have to build trust. You have to understand that people are quite savvy. They know what they want. They may not be the most articulate in the way that they express it. They may not have the same education as someone else, but they are extraordinarily savvy. And they, they're extraordinarily attuned to what's happening around them. And they are very much invested in their the solutions for their own communities. And when you listen to what they're asking for, and you engage them and you incorporate them into the solutions, it is amazing the things that you're able to do. So just by definition, our job is about listening to our communities and then tailoring solutions based off of explicitly expressed needs of that community. That's what served us well for over 50 years. Oh, that's so inspiring. And what have you noticed the impact 
of as your organizations continue to practice this honest, authentic listening, what's the impact to your community has been? Well, it's twofold. I think we've been able to do a lot more for communities by being able to engage them directly. And I also think we've been able to establish a trust and a rapport. And it's actually mutually beneficial. I mean, these are individuals who now trust who we are as an organization. They trust that they can talk to us, that they can engage us, and that we will always engage them. But they, in turn, keep us abreast of everything that's happening. And so sometimes there are things that we can predict that are going to be happening, you know, or, or issues that are, 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 are coming down the pipeline because they'll talk to us. Mm. And we, we know we have a source that we can come to saying, tell us what's happening on the ground. Tell us what we really need to know. So that trust is it's of immeasurable help to us. Mm. But again, it's that trust that allows us to even go farther when it comes to, to finding solutions to, to immediate problems. So I'll give you an example. Having established a very close rapport with a lot of our, our immigrant communities and working on our Medicaid uh, work, for example, and, and also working with our partners who are in this field uh, health-wise, we were able to be the first state in the country to be able to extend um, Medicaid benefits for undocumented immigrants that were over 65. Wow. And so it's just those sorts of partnerships that we have with community folks, with organizations that work at the ground level, and having conversations about what are those needs, mm-hmm. and then coalescing and working together to push things forward. That's what I mean when I say you can be a lot more impactful. And that couldn't have happened if it was just a top-down approach. We could mm-hmm. say, oh, we see this being a problem. We'll take care of it. But we've been able to go so much farther by involving everyone in the process, having tables at which people are sitting and talking about what those needs are, and then together coming up with solutions and then using our sort of power as an organization to help mobilize and move things forward, but not without the advice and consent of our partners. Amazing. I loved a moment ago, you talked about the, uh, at least in many parts of the world, certainly where we live, there's a strong link between poverty and different socioeconomic backgrounds. Right now, there's obviously quite a lot of energy in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And there's also, in, in I think in some parts, a sense of, my gosh, there's so much work to do. What can I possibly do? How can I possibly make a difference, right? What counselor suggestions might you have for somebody saying, I want to get involved, I want to make a difference, but there's, I don't even know where to start? It's really important to know that you don't have to have any sort of formal background or training. When I speak to groups, sometimes people say, well, I'm not a lawyer, or maybe I'm working in a a field that is entirely different than some sort of social service field. So how can I be of help? But it's really starting in your communities. One thing that I always let people know that when it comes to poverty, there is poverty everywhere. It is ubiquitous. Poverty in the U.S. obviously looks a lot different than it does in other countries because a lot of those external kind of manifestations of like indigence and lack of money, you don't necessarily see. People might be surprised to know that within their own communities, there are people who are homeless, but they're not on the street. They're just folks who are going from couch to couch or house to house. You know, there are individuals who might be getting some sort of income supports, but they might be living somewhere on the kind of outskirts of communities or they're they're using vouchers to be able to, to pay rent. And one thing that we've seen with COVID is that there are a lot of households that are food insecure. Hmm. So when pantries and other things were opening up, or even through churches and um, other sort of community groups, there were people who were standing in line for that. So I would tell you to start really in a community, within the community, whether it's with the faith-based institutions or any other sort of community centers, to, to look for opportunities to volunteer. If you have a business that's a service type of business, 
that you work for to see if there are opportunities to be able to provide that service for individuals who are in need in the community. Engaging with uh, local elected officials, or if you're in a smaller municipality with a mayors, because it's much easier to be able to talk to your mayor when you're not in a large, large city, to basically find out I'm either an individual or I'm representing an organization or a business that I would like to be able to help and, and, and getting engaged in that way. So you can start locally and start to ask some questions and, and just to offer yourself to volunteer. And you'd be amazed how many uh, of these organizations would love to be able to have folks from the community helping people within the community. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Now, with one of your other hats, so to speak, the many hats that you wear, curious as the chair of the Cook County Commission on uh, Women's Issues, you're responsible for obviously leading a very diverse set of uh, constituents. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about your work with them and what you feel is important about the, the work that you're doing for that group. The thing I love about the commission is that it is really attuned to the problems or the issues that are faced by women and girls in Cook County or situations that disproportionately impact women and girls in Cook County. And sometimes they kind of get lost in the shuffle. We're thinking about policies that we're putting together for all folks in Cook County, but we don't realize that, you know, especially as women who are heads of households, oftentimes might be single parents, single parent heads of households, that they are dealing with some issues that others don't have to deal with, especially for those who are struggling financially. So I love the fact that we have this commission now that is comprised of women and women of all walks of life, all backgrounds, all ages. So it's quite representative for the entire entirety of Cook County that are are focused with their particular backgrounds, professional backgrounds on these issues. And what our job basically is to elevate the issues that are disproportionately impacting women and girls. Hmm. And then to, whether it's through forums or any sort of kind of public setting that we will now elevate those issues to the Cook County commissioners to possibly draft ordinances or have some sort of response to it, and even elevating it beyond them as well, and just letting them know. So for example, it could be something related to domestic violence. Hmm. It could be something that's related to health. We're actually looking this year at some things that are now, there's no such thing as post-COVID. I mean, we're still navigating the impact of of the pandemic, but now we can start to look and think, what will our lives look like? as we're transitioning out of the pandemic and what sort of impacts have they had on women and girls that we need to be very focused on and to make sure that we're still elevating. So, so many different opportunities to elevate these issues and then to posit some solutions. And I love, love being at the helm of it. And I love actually being around some really fabulous women who have got a lot of ideas and suggestions and thoughts on how we can move these issues forward. Oh, that's so beautiful. I guess since we're on the topic of women of all kinds, what leadership lessons in your journey might you, you know, suggest a, a younger woman, regardless where she is in her journey, that, that you found to be helpful? I would tell anybody that sometimes there's this notion that there's this formal leadership. So, for example, I'm the hem, at, at the helm of an organization. I've got a fancy title. So I, that makes me feel good. That's not what makes me a leader. You make me a leader in name, but there's more to leadership than that. We really need to think about how we cultivate leadership across you know, all walks. And you don't have to have a specific educational background to be a leader. Some of the most dynamic leaders I've seen have been folks who are just leaders in their community. Hmm. They're, the, they're the go-to people. They're the reliable people. They're the one whose, whose voices, they might be soft, but they carry a lot of weight. And people will say, that's the person you ought to know. That person is a leader. And then there are some who have a higher profile and you might see them in a 
a more public setting. You might hear them on the radio. You might see them on TV. They're leaders too. But I would tell people that you have to broaden your definition of what it means to be a leader because there's so many people out there who really demonstrate wonderful qualities of leadership that really need to be, they need to be identified and praised and supported. And I would also say that it is all of our responsibility to cultivate leadership. So if you are in a leadership position, you need to find somebody to mentor. You need to help keep that door open to bring more leaders in to wherever you are. I think that every leader has a responsibility to cultivate new leaders. And again, whether it's at that local level, whether you're in a more formal setting, you know, like an organization, whether you are an elected official type of leader, you have an obligation as a leader, and particularly a female leader, to cultivate and make sure that that door stays open for there to be more women that are walking through. I love that uh, so much what you talked about. First of all, expanding our definition of what leadership is and that, let's be honest, it's not about title or position, right? It's about impact and values, just as you said beautifully. And, and that how we measure ourselves as leaders, as you so beautifully put, is, is not about you. It's about what you foster in others and what you evoke in others. That's so incredible. I love that. And, you know, earlier you talked obviously about your background as a musician, so one of the many parallels that we love to draw on here at Audir is, you know, using, as you and I discussed, the, the backdrop of music as a lens for leadership. So as you think about yourself as an artist, as a creator, as a musician, as well as a leader, what are some of the maybe commonalities you see between things that you've developed as a musician and as that of a leader? Interestingly, it's, it's what I tell, I have a 12-year-old daughter and I... I'm always pushing the music on her, you know, trying hard not to be that parent forcing her to do music, but hoping that when she listens to her mom playing, she's going to be so inspired to, to want to play many instruments. But one of the, the things that I've always told her, as I said, you know, music to me is very much an analogy for life. It's analogous in so many ways. If she hears me practicing piece over and over and over to the point where she's humming along because she's heard me play this. And sometimes she'll make a comment like, are you going to do something different today? And I'm like, no, not until I have this perfected. You know, and I've tried to explain to her, I said, the reason why I do this, it's not for anybody. It's just for me. I said, but it's the exercise of being able to, to take something that could seem very overwhelming and challenging um, and just taking a bit by bit, piece by piece and working my way through it until such time that I have it sounding pretty good that could take a few days it might take a few weeks and i've had some things that have taken several months and i really want her to understand how it's important for her to persevere and to push forward and to know that you're not going to have instant gratification sometimes it's just going to take a long time and i think that served me well because even in my new position you know i came in here with lots of ideas and i was excited and engaged and i'm going to do this and i'm going to fix that and i'm going to <laughs> and then at some point I said, hold on a second. You have to, it's like, it's like that epic piece that you hear that you're like, I'm going to learn that piece. And it may actually be a little bit more advanced than where you are at that moment. So, you know, you're going to have to do it. Just, it, it might be page by page, section by section, mm. and it's going to take some period of time, but it is the ability to just to, to take up, take a piece, kind of work through it, work through it, work through it, and then slowly but surely start to add more sections until such time you've got it going pretty well. And then eventually, you know, you get it down better and it's getting a little bit faster and it's sounding better. And then in the life cycle, for anyone who's a musician, in the life cycle of pieces, you know, there's that moment where it starts to fall apart inexplicably. You're like, wait a minute, I had this down and now it's 
Why is it falling apart? Yeah. And that's okay. That's part of the life cycle. You got to let it fall apart a little bit, step back, and then it'll just come back, you know, even stronger than it was before. So I really definitely think that just my, my leadership has mimics my learning music. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm just so, I'll, I'll work for months at a piece mm. until it's done. And I find that I'm the same way at work. I have that attitude, like, I'm going to figure it out. If this isn't working, we'll try a different way to approach it. And if this isn't working, we'll try another way to approach it. And when I'm starting to see that I'm I'm making some some inroads, like I'm starting to gain some ground, then that's actually making me even more motivated to keep moving because as slow and slow as it is, it's still steady and there is progress. And that that way I know I'm on the right path. So to me, it's completely and totally analogous. Such a powerful metaphor between the concept of music and that persistence and perseverance you talked about musically and the lessons we can draw on for life and leadership. Beautifully stated. For anybody that would like to get specifically more involved in either the uh, the Shriver Center or um, the Commission on uh, Women Voters, any places you'd like to point our listeners today? To learn more about just what we do at the Shriver Center, our site is povertylaw.org. And I, I encourage people to come we have, we've been, we're putting on webinars. We have lots of information on the website. It's a great way just to get acclimated to sort of the, the challenges that we're dealing with, with with families who are living in poverty. And so you can learn more about the organization and, and have chances to be able to, to, to listen in on our webinars and our other series. With respect to the work that we're doing with the Cook County Commission on Women's Issues, I would say that definitely go to the Cook County website. You can actually read more about the commission and its foundations. And then we are actually hosting, we will be hosting forums over the course of the next few months as well. And those are going to be posted on the website. And, and those are open to the public. They're hmm. free and open to the public. So we encourage you to, when you see an upcoming forum, to, to join us, to listen in, to participate because they're extraordinarily informative. And then we want you to take the information that you've gotten from either source and carry that with you, you know, when you're asking questions within your community or of your elected officials or just at your dinner table, doesn't matter, but take the information and, and, and share that with as many people as you possibly can. You and your teams on both sides are, are doing incredible work. We look forward to, to sharing all of that on our social media chapters. Last question for you. What's the next, let's say, musical event or, or live experience you're looking forward to? I, uh, well, I'm making this sound much bigger than it actually is. I host a meetup group at a piano performance space in the in the South Loop in Chicago called Piano Forte, which is it's has piano showcases. So for all the piano nerds out there, it's all these beautiful, gorgeous pianos. But they also um, have a performance space where they do a lot of recordings with uh, WFMT, which mm. is a classical music station. So it's a really awesome place to be. But the owner of it, his name is um, Thomas Zells, is a really awesome guy from Switzerland who, just because of his love of music, shares his space uh, with amateur groups, allows us to meet there periodically, gives us one of his, one of his engineers, and plays on this beautiful, beautiful Fazioli grand piano. Mm -hmm. And so I actually do performances there, and I have one coming up um, in a week and then I'm doing another one yep in July and I that's what makes me happy so it, I working on my stage fright a little bit but mm -hmm. I love the piano and I love the venue and and those are open to the public so we encourage people to to come on by and they're on the website as well and you can listen to a concert for 
we're amateurs, we're pretty good. You know? And so, and we just love sharing our music with people. But yeah, I, I have been doing quite a few of those as well. So anytime I get a chance to be able to, to play with fellow piano lovers out there and on a beautiful piano in a beautiful concert setting, then yes, I definitely am doing that. So I've got a few coming up. Oh, that's great. And thank you for bringing your many gifts to the world in so many ways. We look forward to checking that as well. Audra, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a delight and we look forward to seeing all of the great work that you're going to continue to do in the community. Take care. Awesome. Thanks so much.